You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. The business of cannabis is brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers. Cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services, Cash Tech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call Cash Tech and solve the problem. Visit www.cashtechcurrency.com to learn more. You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. This is the business of cannabis. Welcome to the Business of Cannabis, where we interview the leading figures in the cannabis industry. I'm Dave Stein. I'm joined, as always, by my trusted co-host, Matt Cook. We have two guests on today's show. First, we'll be joined by one of the true cannabis pioneers, Andrew D'Angelo, who uh, appeared in the reality show uh, Weed Wars back in the day. Andrew's been an activist for over 30 years uh, and now is one of the most successful consultants around. And we'll be asking Andrew for his view on what retailers need to do to actually make money in the business. Then we'll switch gears a bit and speak to a true entrepreneur, Tim Peterson, co-founder of Columbia Zona, which is a company that has developed a patent pending method for infusing coffee beans with CBD. We try to introduce new concepts and products on this show all the time and Columbia Zona struck us as a idea worthy of discussion is uh, Tim will take us through the journey that I think many of you listeners either have been on or are on right now, which is having an idea that came to you one day and then actually turning that idea into a real product. So enough introduction, let's get into it. I'm Dave Sky, along with Matt Cook, and this is the business of cannabis. So welcome to the Business of Cannabis. Uh, We're excited to welcome our first guest, Andrew uh, D'Angelo. Now, Andrew is a true cannabis pioneer, has been involved uh, in the business since his university days. Um, And interestingly, was an actor before migrating into the cannabis space when he opened the famous Harborside Dispensary in Oakland. Uh, You may know Andrew best from a reality TV show called Weed Wars uh, back in uh, a few years ago, it was on Discovery Channel, it's on Netflix. I encourage you to hunt it down and watch it again. Uh, Harborside continues to do well with four locations in California and a farm in Monterey. Uh, Andrew continues to do very well, uh, um, spending his time consulting in the cannabis industry, voted one of the top five consultants in the cannabis industry by Forbes magazine. So we feel honored to have him on the show. Andrew, welcome. Nice to be with you today. Thank you for having me. So, Andrew, why don't we just start with, uh, in general, tell us about, you know, what projects you're working on now in the ca- in your consulting practice to give us a feel for sort of, you know, get our, our fingers on the pulse. Uh, sure, I'd be happy to. Space. Most people reach out to me 
for consulting help, what I'm really good at is post-license. So once you've gotten your license and you need to build your dispensary or your grow or your manufacturing or your vertically integrated company, and sometimes that's even in industrial hemp, I have some clients, I help you build that business from the ground up and then position it for exits. And then other people, not me, <laughs> other people I know, and perhaps um, the client and I will collaborate on, work on the actual exit itself. So I don't, I have people I work with on licensing. I have people I work with on exits. What I'm really good at is that middle portion of defining the business and then building it uh, according to the vision and then pivoting is necessary, as we all know, must be done in cannabis with all businesses and then sort of guide that business to a point where it's well positioned for an exit. Well, this is a perfect segue then into maybe a, a, a deep topic because the purpose of this show, the business of cannabis, is to focus on those very issues. Not that the evangelical aspect isn't important and the criminal aspect is decriminalization isn't important and expand federal, you know, um, legalization. But at the end of the day, you have a business, you have expenses, you have challenges, mm -hmm. you have employees, you have technology. So First question, um, and and we've had some guests on this show talking about the the challenge. Uh, a lot of people believe that that brand is coming to the cannabis space. That the big that brands are going to emerge and be the dominant player, like in the car industry, perhaps. You know, uh, because to this point, it's been more about the dispensary. We're talking about the retail, the dispensary, the dispensary experience, and that relationship. How do you how do you see it happening with your experience and how do you you know now and then in the future? Well, it's really the million dollar question, isn't it? That, that well, I will pay you a million dollars if you get it right. So yeah. take a shot. <laughs> right everyone is zigging towards brands right now, and I I I embrace zags. So I like to encourage my my clients to sort of go against what everybody else is doing, or at least consider going against what everybody else is doing. We have a limited licensing framework. The legalization frameworks in Canada, California, most places in the United States aren't very well formulated. They're not well executed. They're not well designed. And they play, they have a huge impact on the business models that any of us can do. So as long as that limited licensing is in place and the United States does not have federal legalization, which I don't anticipate for a while, then brands are gonna be not as important as, as perhaps other things like an experience of what people are experiencing in dispensaries or what people are experiencing with the actual products themselves, with regardless of the branding, because what I'm seeing with brands by and large in the marketplace, there's a brand gaps all over the place. What is a brand gap? A brand gap is when the experience that the customer has is different than the promise the brand is making to that customer. And we're seeing that all over the industry right now where, where you'll, you'll get a product that says it'll help you sleep and it doesn't help you sleep. Or you'll get a product that you know, claims is got a, a, a whole plant expression and perhaps it doesn't. 
uh, or it claims something that's going to be make you feel better than you've ever felt in your life. And then you don't feel better than you've ever felt in your life. So uh, you have these brand gaps. So so until we close those brand gaps, none of the the, the whole brand, the whole idea that brands are going to dominate um, is a little bit false. Until there is a brand that one is well financed enough and two can close the brand gaps. The, the problem is the brands that are well financed enough to have wide distribution oftentimes have the biggest brand gaps. So this is this is the issue that's prevailing in the industry right now. The people who know how to make great weed uh, don't have the money to do it. And the people that have the money to do it don't know how to make great weed. I was just going to ask you, what what is the the big gap there? But I think you just answered the, the, the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but well, I mean, these two communities need to cross-pollinate more. I've been advocating building bridges between stoners and suits. I call them stoners and suits. You can call them legacy. Yep. You can call them whatever you want to call them. But, but it's a very diverse group. Both groups are very diverse. I don't mean to belittle and generalize, but just let's generalize since we only have 20 minutes, um, uh, stoners and suits. And if we can build bridges between these two communities more than, than fighting a war of mutually assured destruction, which is kind of what's happening now, uh, then I think we can close some of these brand gaps. We can also create a more equitable industry that includes a lot more small businesses and, and, and perhaps businesses owned by First Nation peoples and, and biracial people of color, you know? So uh, I guess that's actually maybe a better question. What needs to be done to uh, build that bridge? Well, it's a it's a great question. Wow, what a what a great question! It's one I ask myself a lot, and I'm actually hosting a panel that has some stoners and suits on it to ask this question at the MJ Biz Conference in Vegas next month, but. Uh, I think that we have to start listening to each other first and mm -hmm. foremost and, and stop belittling each other and shaming each other and um, accusing each other of not knowing what the other's doing. We do know what we're doing <laughs> and we just have to listen a little bit more. We also have to be invited. Legacy people like me have to be invited into the, the boardrooms of these companies. And, and, and some of the people that are investors and, and run these, these larger companies need to be invited into our world as well. And, and we've both sort of not been able to do that so far. It's something I'm, I'm trying to facilitate and, and advocate for, but it's hard. We're culturally so different and, and mm -hmm. what we want from the industry is often diametrically opposed. So, you know, my message is the market, the overall cannabis market, when you include industrial hemp is so large and so vast, it, it doesn't, it's not yeah. productive for all of us to be in these petty fights with each other. We ought to be putting our heads together to figure out how to develop this dynamic new industry that could play a, a huge role in not only ending drug wars that are really destructive and, and distracting for resources mm -hmm. of society, but also just maybe help with with the climate crisis and 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 create and helping to usher in what I call a new capitalism uh, that focuses not just on shareholder value but but also community value and 
and how we build those two things together so a, a high tide lifts all boats. So we're talking with Andrew D'Angelo, uh, a consultant in the cannabis space. Um, you know, I'm, I, I'm hearing what you're saying and thinking, okay, I'm a, can I'm a dispensary owner. So if I was gonna take it from the theoretical down to the practical, what are, what are some things I can do now as opposed to two or three years ago when everyone's talking and, 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 and alleviating this problem? Um, we tend on the show talk to more of the retail side, not that we, you know, as opposed to the grower side. Um, what, could, what are some practical things to, you know, to, to ameliorate, to, to, to improve that experience, that get to, a, to that brand gap you're talking about? Because mm -hmm. the brand gap, okay, great, I'm going to suffer. It doesn't help for me to complain about it. I might have unhappy customers, especially newer customers, especially people coming into the market because of the legalization, because of it's, you know, it's, and, and I'm going to try it. And, and you're right, after experimenting a bit, I'm going, what, what am I, why am I doing this? Well, one thing you can do is hire a stoner to be your buyer of the product <laughs> you put on. That's right. Test market. Test market. <laughs> um, no, but I, I, we kid, but I, I actually say that in all seriousness. There's something to that, yeah. Yeah, because the, the, the only way to get the stuff on the shelf that has the least amount of brand gap is to have somebody who understands these products, um, sampling sure. them and being your buyer, perhaps leading a team that, that buys for you. If you have multiple locations, you want to have one buying office that, that handles all of those locations if the regulations allow it. So, so that, that team of people has to be really good at what they do. They also have to be intimately connected with the sales team, the bud tenders, we call them here in California. Perhaps you call them sales associates in Canada, other things, other names, but they're basically the salespeople. And these people are not just salespeople. They're uh, medical consultants. If somebody comes in that has cancer, mm -hmm. um, they are um, community advocates. They are your, to, to their educational teachers of what cannabis is for customers that are new to cannabis. And none of this is taught in all the schools we went to. <laughs> so um, the, the salespeople have to talk about these products to people and they have to be intimately connected to the buyers who are buying those products. And both of these teams have to be engaged in a creative dialogue together with the central question always being, what are the very best products that we can leverage our inventory budget for? And how can we celebrate those products in our space and in the way in which we educate people about the products? And, and, and hopefully this is not a pay to play system where the brands that pay you the most to the buyers are the ones that get on the shelf and therefore the ones that the staff talks about, but they're the ones that have the biggest brand gap then you're in a world of hurt because all of a sudden you're, you're losing authenticity with the consumer. You're creating brand gaps in their experience and nobody likes that. So it's, it's, it could have a big impact on your, the loyalty of those customers to your, to your retail establishment. And I just think that the, the last thing I'll say to all the retailers that are listening right now 
just always pay attention to that customer and making sure their experience with what you can control, which is how the people interact with the customers from the security guard that might have to wear a firearm, mm -hmm. which is not real cool, you know, um, in terms of a customer experience, that person has to somehow make that customer experience comfortable, even though they're wearing a firearm. Right. Well, some customers mm -hmm. feel more comfortable with the person wearing the firearm. Yeah. Other customers like me are like, oh, man, is somebody going to get shot today? Um, it, uh, and so that person has to be trained that no matter who the customer is, somebody like me or somebody different than me is, is going to feel very comfortable on knowing that they're safe in this establishment, right? And same thing with the people, as soon as you walk in the door, there should be something that makes you feel comfortable and safe. Uh, whether it's a greeter saying hello, somebody checking your ID perhaps, most places require that, or um, maybe it doesn't happen until you enter the floor of the dispensary where the look and feel of the dispensary or perhaps technology is leveraged to just make people say, Hey, I'm here. I'm ready to start focusing my attention on purchasing cannabis right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think, you know, in every business I've ever been in, customer experience is key. And I think you're kind of, you know, just kind of shining a light on that and saying, um, you know, not only dispensaries, but end to end, that has to be the focus. Yeah, the dispensaries are only as good as the products that are yep. that, that are on the shelf, right? So, so yep. what we're really doing here in the, this nascent industry is we're we're creating a whole new ecosystem from scratch, and, right? And it's it's interdependent. And, and all of your guests that run cannabis companies will tell you just how interdependent everything is, and you you layer in on top of that licensing and regulation and. All yeah. those interdependencies that move at a much different speed. Government moves at a much different speed than the private. Really? Really? I, no, I, I never noticed that. That's not true. <laughs> no, not true. Not true. Uh, but they're dependent, right? Because if we don't have the right license or the right piece of paper or whatever it is, the right inspection, we can't do business. Um, so, right. you know, so the interdependencies are just so myriad and intense. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's the thing. It's one of the three big things I tell my clients they have to manage on a daily basis, interdependency, speed. The ecosystem is moving very fast. All your guests will tell you one year feels like seven, uh, in, in the cannabis industry. And then, uh, constraint we're, we're surrounded by constraint and how you manage constraint will oftentimes <laughs> dictate how successful your business is, not even your vision. I mean, your vision, once it gets chewed up by the constraints in the marketplace, your ability to manage those constraints almost becomes more important than the vision itself. I'm hearing, it's, really, it's interesting, I'm hearing two, like two things. One, the solution to some of the brand gaps might be regulation that the government might need yeah. to get involved. And so you can't say certain things, certain, there's yep. certain testing, there's certain validity to, you know, I don't know. Um, or it's just more regulation and more negativity. The other thing that's interesting that I'm hearing is this, is, is cannabis a commodity? Is cannabis a craft? Is it 
And if it's a craft that makes it so, yeah, what we speak to that? And, and well, how do you balance those things? Because well, there's different visions. There's some people taking over the world. We're gonna have 10,000 dispensaries and we're gonna offer X, Y, Z, and this is it at Starbucks. Um, and you can't say Starbucks isn't successful, but there's also craft coffee. How do you feel, how do you see that? Or do you have to, to make a decision of who you want to be? Well, I hope that we create that ecosystem that includes both. And I really want to see when we're talking about psychoactive cannabis or medicinal cannabis, I really want to see small businesses driving that marketplace as much as possible. Uh, because they, they're the ones that are closest to the consumers and the communities that have been, that have had cannabis in them. You know, all these, all of our communities have a lot of cannabis in them already. It's just, are we going to make it legal? Or are we going to keep it underground? It's already there. So I would like to see, and it's been served by small businesses for, you know, the better half of a hundred years. So we shouldn't, we should be careful on how we, design these things right so that so small businesses can thrive there's also a really big role for medium and larger companies to to play because scale matters when you're talking about something like vape pen cartridges uh, scale matters when you're talking about something like distillate oil that has lots of different applications at very large scales um, and those applications can benefit consumers and can make people a lot of money. So it should be done. So I, I'd, but this idea that any one company or any one size companies should have global domination of the cannabis industry is something is, is, is something we should all speak against. No one should have global uh, domination mm -hmm. of the cannabis industry when you've got hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people still in prison uh, for cannabis all over the world. You, you just can't do that <laughs> and yeah. call yourself a, an industry with a moral compass. Um, so yeah. there's a moral obligation to empower communities, one, that have been working with the plant for a long time, and two, have been most impacted by the war on cannabis. So that more obligation exists. That means we're going to have small businesses driving a lot of the consumer-based economy of cannabis. And we're going to have large companies feeding those businesses with all kinds of innovative products upstream that can only be created at scale. Then you have industrial hemp, which largely can only be created at scale. How do you get particle board into every building on earth? Mom and pop legacy people can't do that um so and we right. can't do hempcrete and we can't do uh hemp protein and we can't do um cooking oil and we can't do um biodiesel and we can't do all of these things that that all these companies that are playing around with consumer facing weed should be doing that um because it is federally legal <laughs> um to do that and 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 it's incredibly underinvested. Uh, only half of, i think it was i don't know a very small amount of acreage half a million acreage of, of hemp was grown in the united states i think it was 2019 and it was wow. way too much it was way wow. too much we didn't have the machines to process it we didn't have the factories to make stuff out of it. It was all CBD and all, you know, and there's only so much CBD the world can uh, take at one time. 
and so you know this the, the, we're, we're so out of balance you know and and so correcting those imbalances there's tremendous opportunity for medium and larger size companies and entrepreneurs who like to take companies public and like to play at that larger scale there's so much opportunity to do that um, um, but I think it's important for those folks to pick that spot right and to also you know be moral about how they're going to go about doing it and understanding that there's some parts of the market that they have to concede to the the, the small business yeah it's like the seduction mm-hmm. of the rec market mm-hmm. and the seduction of profit right can over can blind people is what oh, I'm yeah. Saying. <laughs> yeah it can blind <laughs> me i mean it can blind power corrupts absolutely absolute power corrupts absolutely absolute <laughs> same, money yeah yeah you could say <laughs> the same thing about profit right and so um and so we all have to be mindful of this right and that, that's why you mentioned regulation i mean i wish the government was better at doing these things than it is and i would feel better about saying yes regulation is how we keep the guardrails on. I want to see the industry keep the guardrails on itself. I want to see the industry police itself. I want to see the industry shame people that are, that are getting too greedy and trying to do this global domination and, and so forth. So that's what I want to see. The industry ought to be able to do it itself. We ought to, that's the best solution because the government's just always gets it wrong. <laughs> right. There is that problem. I wish someone else would take care of it and then they don't. And then we wonder, well, why, you know, it's not being taken. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, so, so what do you think, what do you think the industry needs to do to really kind of take it to the next level? Well, that's a great question, isn't it? I think I think the framework for the ind- first thing the industry has to do is fund real reform and stop and tear down walls together instead of using mm-hmm. lobbyists and re- to to build moats around their little tiny companies. Most of them are not profitable anyway. Mm-hmm. So so that's the first thing we have to do. If we held hands together, the activists and the industry, um, and we united. We could have the politicians in our pocket tomorrow. Tomorrow they would be in our pocket. We would have them all. <laughs> and, 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 and so that's the first thing that I would like to see done. But we, we do have to tear down walls together and we do have to embrace social equity and social justice. And we, we do have to embrace, you know, right. a certain amount of, of community involved in, in the licensing. And, and, and we do have to wade through that morass because it's hard and, and try to get it right. And, and, and so, so, so that's, that's the first thing we have to do. The second thing we have to do is just be more inclusive in the way we build our own companies. And, 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 right. and like I mentioned, cross pollinate between all these different communities. Um, yep. You know, when I, when I was running Harborside, we had a very diverse board, which included women and women of color and people of color. And, and now the Harborside mm-hmm. board is, is all white males. So, yeah. You know, we're seeing this all over the industry. And so that 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 sort of thing has to change. Yeah, you get a guy like me on your board or or perhaps some other people, it might slow things down a little bit because we're gonna, <laughs> you know, it yeah. might, you know, it might yeah. mean you gotta work a little harder. You gotta be outside of your box of of 
whatever the, the box you grew up in and went to school in, the people you were around, the people yep. you built previous companies with. So yep. um, it, it requires that sort of attitude. There's, there's kind of an attitude adjustment. And, and just like I, people from, that come from where I come from, we have to be okay with the suits, man. We have to listen to them. We have to be with them. We have to share our thoughts with them. We have to try to build trust with them. Even the, And we're going to get burned sometimes. It's not going to work sometimes. It's going to get screwed up. It, we got to keep trying. Andrew, I re this is so interesting. And I, Great answer. Um, yeah. And uh, that's what makes it a fascinating industry because it's, uh, we've said it many times in the show, it's, it's, it's truly one of the, it, the most unique industry on the planet because I can't think of another one just, that just exploded. It just it grew up out of nowhere. The, the legal, the legal side of yeah. it. Um, and now you're grappling with issues that every business needs to grapple with, yet you're doing it at lightning speed because uh, alcohol maybe has there's some similarities to it. Tobacco. It's, tobacco. But it's been around for, you know, I don't know how many, a yeah. hundred years or more. Um, so we've been talking to Andrew uh, D'Angelo, one of the leading cannabis consultants in uh, the United States. Um, I'm encouraging you to give Andrew a call if you have any questions. Uh, question about cannabis, but particularly if you want to uh, get into the business yourself and um, and like Andrew said, not get burned and not make those mistakes um, and uh, to excel and, uh, and to be as successful as uh, and Andrew's been. So thanks very much uh, for coming and uh, best of luck. And we're, we're going to reach out and uh, try to get you on the show again. You're pretty busy, but we're going to try. <laughs> <laughs> I'll always make time for you guys. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot, Andrew. The Business of Cannabis is brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers. Cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services, Cash Tech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call Cash Tech and solve the problem. Visit www.cashtechcurrency.com to learn more. Welcome back to the business of cannabis. It's Dave Sky with Matt Cook, and we are joined next with uh, by Tim Peterson of Columbia Zona. Um, Columbia Zona is uh, uh, has some innovative process in um, CBD infused coffee. Uh, a bit about Tim. Uh, Tim lives in Parker, Colorado, which I learned is just outside of Denver. Uh, Forty five years in the retail business. Uh, the last 25 with the company that sells Australian horse saddles, bridles, and even boomerangs. Uh, did sales, marketing, logistics, operations. Uh, so he has one of these crazy careers. Uh, naturally, he ends up founding uh, Columbia Zona. Um, and like I mentioned, one of the leaders in the CBD-infused drink market. So welcome to the show, Tim. Thank you, uh, David and Matt, for having me. Well, Thanks for why, being here, Tim. Yeah, why don't we start uh, with that interesting background? Like, tell us a bit about how how you go from uh, boomerangs to uh, infused coffee. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's obvious to me, but maybe yeah, some, <laughs> natural some natural transition. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, by association with my network and with the other founder of the company, we just felt that uh, cannabis and hemp products in Colorado made good sense to get into. 
So therefore we started looking into what can we do in the CBD business and what, how could we deliver that to the market? And what we found out that there was very tough control in how the CBD went into certain things taste, grain taste, you know, oily taste. So what we did is we went and did our engineering, our background and found out that we could infuse the green CBD or the green, uh, the coffee, the green coffee bean with CBD and infuse it directly into it. Okay. So now it's basically not sprayed on, sprinkled on, or not an additive to a coffee. So what that also means is, you know, being somebody that's been in the business is how can we bring that and make it a high volume product? And so that's what caught my interest uh, from Simon, you know, going through the process of, would you be interested in joining the company that he's starting to do with, you know, Columbia Zona, uh, you know, infusing CBD into the green coffee bean. Uh, He also did, and we did research, you know, on why Columbia Zona? We felt that Columbia Zona basically is a good place to start from because you can get CBD there and you can get coffee from there. And the peso versus the dollar is very, very low. So it's a good opportunity to start a business. You know, oh, so the Columbia is is where the, is, you named it Columbia Zona because coffee. that's where the coffee actually comes, yeah, Colombian coffee. Correct. So be Medellin and Rio Negro, uh, Colombia. So basically all those things came in with a lot of hard work, you know, research and development and also trying to find investors and also finding, you know, the coffee people and other people that we can make it a business in Columbia Zona. Well, let's tell, how do, how do you, like, how do you infuse coffee with, um, without <laughs> yeah, giving you use, a, give you like any s- type of bean or, uh, you know, like how does that syringe? work? Like, how do yeah. you do it? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's why we do an, uh, bean by bean. <laughs> uh, USPTO on it. That's why we discovered that because we believe that if we infuse it directly into the, the coffee bean, the retention of the CBD will stay there and see our COA came back that it was true by infusing the C- green coffee bean the way we did, which we call infusela today, it retains the CBD. And that's why I meant earlier that as you go to brew your coffee, you have a better control of how much CBD is in that. And so if it goes to distribution, grinding, blending, and or grinding, roasting, and blending, you still have the big, good consistency of that CBD into the coffee. And then the other thing that we did by doing that, we came out and found that if you look at other things that when you put the oil in the coffee, the taste that comes back into your mouth is a grain taste and an oily taste. So with our CBD that we infuse into it, what comes back is the flavor of the coffee and also the aroma of the coffee. So you don't get that when enjoying a good cup of you know, CBD infused coffee. Oh, so you don't get that, that I mean, I've had CBD, it's, it doesn't necessarily have a strong taste, but it has an oily, what would I call it? Profile almost? Correct. No, no, exactly. When you basically talk about features, it's the profile of what's in the product. And we came up with grainy and oily. Cool. And then you, <laughs> you've gotten rid of the oily, which leaves the coffee. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And you asked me the other reason why we got into the, the business again, you know, coffee is a $32 billion business a year. So when so you we just want our, 10% of that, right? <laughs> exactly. So when you do the, 
<laughs> the TAM, the SAM, and the SUM, you basically know what you can get out of it. So it was a pretty easy, you know, decision for me to join Simon in his venture into the CBD infused right. green coffee bean. I think Matt and I account for about 10% of that coffee. I was market. actually going to say, Dave, you, Dave accounts for about 10%. <laughs> yeah, yeah, He's maybe. A bit, of a bit of a coffee snob. So, yeah. <laughs> so no, this is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, where are you at on the process, the patenting process? Well, it's in the USPTO right now, and so it's pending. And so we're also looking at to give it a, a full process patent too. So that could take two to three years. But what's nice about it being in there is if anybody tries to copy us, you know, we have the right of that to go back and make sure that they don't do it. Yeah, you have the protection. Mm-hmm. Correct. Right. It is arduous and not inexpensive, yeah. but incredibly rewarding, I guess. Exactly. All right. So where are you guys at on, in terms of uh, marketing and sales? Where's, where's Columbia zone at now? Well, right now we're still in Take that. Take us through that process. Yeah. We're, we're almost to the goal line. We've got uh, basically people to invest in. We're looking for more investing so we can go to build the equipment that will infuse the CBD green bean the way we talked mm-hmm. about. And so then we'll have again, a gold ticket for the infusla and how we infuse it into it. And then we also have the equipment that produces it. And then we look at the equipment that will produce it will create great volume for us. So it won't be just in the pounds, it'll be in the tons. So when we export it out of Columbia and import it into the US, they'll be able to take it into uh, B2B. And that's where we want to go is B2B and not B2C. Mm-hmm. So then the di- distribution point, the wholesalers, they can get out there and sell it to their customers. And then they can also do their white labeling and do the roasting and blending if they want. So now it's just a CBD infused green coffee bean, which, which has the ability to hold the CBD. So that's going to catch mm-hmm. the market right there. Hmm. And I, I guess, um, so the, the process is actually done in Columbia? Correct. So everything will be on site in Columbia and it'll be exported out of Columbia into the U.S. and international. We also have a team on board to do the Latin America side of it too, since we are hmm. in South America, because Columbia uh, basically is going to be the forefront of the of you know what we want to call the country in South America for processing and branding a process of trade within you know with that and so we can become maybe the Pepsi and the Coke in the new future down there too. The Pepsi and Coke of coffee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, is there um, enlighten us about export or importing? Is that a problem from Colombia? Is there issues? So I'm a dispensary. So your market is more roasters and distributors. And, and so anyone, anyone who's doing that would, would be interested. This would be a new line. Oh, exactly. So uh, basically exporting out there, you know, there's very little FDA regulations into uh, the U S and so with Columbia, the whole thing they've done is the coffee bean is from what I understand would be in the flower market because it is a plant. So their regulations on that are very, very good to bring Columbia in the top zone of exporting CBD or any type of flower, you know, products out of Columbia into the U S and international. 
Now, do you so see those? Do you see those regulations tightening up over time, or is is it pretty, you know, kind of clear cut right now? Well, there is none. So basically, whoever does a good volume of business can write mm-hmm. their own 510k, you know, with the FDA. And the FDA always likes to have a partner with them. Mm-hmm. And then Simon, that's on board, knows how to write an F, you know, the you know, the FDA regulations for them. So basically, mm. there you go, another partnership, you know, by having somebody on board Columbia Zona. Mm. So I, um, I'm listening to, uh, to this, and, and as, as, as a coffee snob myself, uh, one, the question, is this, is this going to be, are you doing organic, non-organic, regular? Are you even dealing with that at all? Secondly, do you see this as a luxury product? or this is a mainstream product, uh, you know, and the follow-up to that is how would, you know, how does this relate to on the medicinal side? Do, do you, do you need to talk to clinics and, and to take us through that thinking? Well, you know, everything is in Colombia is picked by hand. So it's not machine pick like all the other countries like uh, Vietnam and other places that are high volume. So again, it's picked by, uh, a normal farmer that will hand pick it. He'll basically rinse it. We'll buy it from those company or those farmers in, you know, South America or Colombia. So there's basically the organic part of it. But the other part is 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 the pesticides. And you know, I don't want to get into that part because we just want to make sure when we're doing is buying high quality green coffee beans, and then moving it very simply into the infused CBD market. So then when they get that, um, they don't have to put organic on it. Basically, you know, they're just going to put uh, you know CBD, you know, infused CBD in coffee. Gotcha. Okay, and so. Basically, what do we look at is, is the, we project, you know, about changing the world and we can't make claims on CBD, but we have the ability to deliver a CBD in a cup of coffee, you know, and like I said, how many people drink coffee a day will make a huge impact in, in society or, you know, people's that faces, you know, challenges of stress and anxiety, you know, so that's basically what we're going for. And, in the research that we've done, you know, it shows that it has done and it has made changes in people that take it. So you just can't make claims right now until you do, like you said, once all the thing comes about in fruition that the clinics come aboard and you get people to do your trials, that's something we'll do in the future too. As of right now, we have a coffee Q grader that it tasted our coffee, you know, a couple of them. And that's where we also came up with the no grain, no oily taste. And we've also had people that we've sent packages out to, to give them the ability to taste them and see what they came up. And they I don't all know came that up. Matt and I haven't gotten our package. Yeah, I was going to say, we're, I haven't, <laughs> checked, I haven't checked the mail today. Wait, yeah, so. that's it. That's, yeah, <laughs> I've been up working and I haven't, uh, maybe I'll have some later today. Yeah. So samples. Thanks for we, that. Yeah, samples we call it is our our big gold brick is what we brick. do. So when we send mm-hmm. them out, basically. Okay. Well, I'll take a gold it's, brick it's, too. I'll take both. Yeah. A me gold too. brick and some coffee. But that's uh, a snack for me. A typical snack. That's exactly. Really cool. Uh, well, that whole CBD. Yes, the whole CBD story remains to be written. No, mm-hmm. no one's saying it's over. But certainly, anyone in the CBD market. Oh, slash 
medicinal market and even rec because I mean, I don't know where the line starts. I don't, you know, it's blurred for most mm-hmm. people, uh, for many retailers, not all. Uh, yeah, definitely something. Uh, there'd be a, a, a unique, certainly a unique product on the market. Oh, oh exactly. And I believe uh, CBD and how we infuse it, like I said earlier, will change the way right. people feel, you know, and it'll change the market. And so once it gets into the mainstream and then we bring it to high volume, you know, everybody can have the same cup of coffee, just like they do a regular cup of coffee. And, and uh, rollout wise. So is it U S first? Is it South America first? Is it, is it Colorado? What are you, what are your thoughts there? Cause it sounds like it's all not too far away. Well, exactly. Like people Roll- should start reaching out. <laughs> exactly. And say, where is my coffee? <laughs> From a sales point of view, whoever gets the first sale is where it rolls out to. Oh, whether so you're, it, you're, it's across okay. the North America. You don't care. Where. Yeah, exactly. Or whether it's our Latin American crew that get the first sale or whether it's me that I get international or U.S. sale. So that's how it's going to roll out. So the other key is once we get our full investment and we get the machine rolling, that's when we'll attack the market real tough, making sure that we go from every coffee wholesaler that's out there again. Um, I'll go back and double check with the people I reached out to to see if now they're still interested in getting into uh, buying our green infused CBD coffee. Is so, um, is CBD, is coffee, it's occurred to me, is because up in Canada, there's a, you know, See, uh, cannabis-infused drinks are a problem and haven't taken off. Is this caught by that regulation, by the in, by drink, by the beverage rules, or is or is this product considered a CBD product? Well, it's basically considered when you export it out of Colombia, flower product, uh, because it's in the coffee bean. So when you with no regulations in the U.S., you're just importing it as a coffee bean or a flour mm-hmm. product that has CBD into it. Hmm. So it's almost like the there nothing's been really changed, and that's why it's easy to import it. Oh, exactly, and that's why you know with Colombia, and like I said earlier, them being one of the greatest proponents on making their country better to export, you know, CBD out of there too. You know, mm-hmm. and into you know South America, so they're opening up channels which other countries in South America want to do too. So I'm going to ask the obvious question: Why not cannabis in the coffee? If you can infuse it with CBD, well, why uh, why not that? Being simple and less regulations to go by. Mm-hmm. For now, for now, yeah. But if you get it into the mainstream, like coffee is in to international society worldwide you know i don't think there'll be a problem with cbd being into it because of it basically being without thc so mm-hmm. that's the way we look at it but it also has the medicinal part of it like we call a you know eastern versus western medicine the ability to or i should say has been shown to shown changes in people and how stress and anxiety works in the workplace today. So and that's the that's the positioning from a sales and marketing perspective then. Correct. 
And so. the number one thing is how we infuse it. So and right. the key to that, it retains more. So you can even go to espresso. It doesn't change that. You know, so when we're looking at, you know, if you're going in international, you know, can I get an espresso or a drip, like you said? And we say, yes, both drip and espresso, espresso works, and it will be up to the end product definition of the packaging people who sell it to hmm. their partners or the people they sell to B2C. Right. Yeah, it's interesting because coffee has that aspect to it. There's other aspects to coffee, which is interesting. But, you know, wh why do I drink coffee? Probably 15 to 20 reasons. One of them is because I want to, you know, just chill out. It's after lunch. I want to relax. Or in the morning, it's more of a wake up. So maybe that's not when I want it. Um, is, it there, is there a decap, by the way? You know, we can do that at a later process. Again, like okay. I said, we want to take the first steps first, get it into the market, and then you can change and have other avenues to stream off that and branch off to. So like you're just saying, the majority of the people drink coffee in the morning today in the U.S. And so when you look at that, that's why we're making it simple. We can do a light roast, mild roast, or dark roast. And we have the ability that we, when we put the CBD in there, that it won't change how much CBD we put into the green coffee bean. Very interesting. So, I, you know, we're talking about, um, we're talking with uh, Tim Peterson and uh, of uh, Columbia Zona. And I, I guess what, what are the next steps uh, for you guys as a company? Um, you, you mentioned, you know, getting some more investors, but what, what's kind of timeline before this kind of goes uh, prime time? Well, we're looking at uh, 2022 to get everything up and going, mm -hmm. because once we get the investment to build the equipment, the equipment can be built in South America and they have machinists, you know, right on site where you can have, like we said, keep it simple, small, medium and large nut and bolts. So you keep mm -hmm. it simple. So then once that gets going, then the process is, is who does the sales first, who can get that out into the market, whether it's, you know, us up in North America or down in South America team. So that's how we're going to roll it out. So we're going to try to keep it as step by step. So once money comes in, we build the mm -hmm. equipment. That means now we go to the sales team and we tell the team now start getting the sales. And then basically that's when we start to go and then it goes back to the plant and then they start producing. And, you know, most of people in America forget that when you buy internationally, you have your own team of brokers. So the majority mm -hmm. of the companies I've reached out to have been buying coffee from South America, you know, you know, Africa, whether it's Ethiopian coffee or all over the world. So they have brokers that know how to handle coffee too. So it'll be easy for them to also how to understand bringing coffee into the U S mm -hmm. too. Yeah. It fits into a whole distribution network that obviously does not have to be recreated. And in as many ways, not really related to the CBD cannabis, the yeah. cannabis market at all. It's just, it's coffee. Mm -hmm. um, where it will be served will be interesting to know, like, is it going to be served in just a cafe or is it going to be more of a cannabis cafe culture? Um, so it's, anyway, Tim, uh, thanks very much for coming. Unfortunately, we run out of time. Um, it's uh, one of the reasons we love doing the show, Matt and I, we, you know, talking to people who come up with such innovative ideas. We've been talking to Tim Peterson of Columbia Zona um, with uh, uh, CBD infused coffee. 
Um, to learn more, go to columbiazona.com. That's columbiazona.com. And uh, reach out to Tim. And um, uh, Tim, thanks very much. It's a fascinating uh, idea and cool how uh, you brought it to this point. And can't wait uh, to, yeah. to to get our uh, package in the To get our gold and coffee <laughs> combo. <laughs> Gotcha, guys. Well, Dave and Matt, thank you for having me aboard. And uh, I hope to talk to you guys soon and be again on the show again. Well, yeah. we're going to reach out to you and, and hear how you're doing. And, for sure. And, and keep yeah. uh, abreast. So again, Tim Peterson, Columbia Zona, ColumbiaZona.com. Thanks, Thanks very much, uh, Tim. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. The Business of Cannabis is brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers. Cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services. Cash Tech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call Cash Tech and solve the problem. Visit www.cashtechcurrency.com to learn more. So there you have it. That's some uh, interesting um, conversations with Andrew D'Angelo and um, Tim Peterson of Colum- Columbia Zona. Matt, what do you? What were your thoughts? Well, I thought it was really interesting because if you look at uh, Tim, um, you know, me being a, an entrepreneur who started a few companies and, and grown them, uh, he's seen kind of an op- opportunity in a niche. Or, or a niche in the, uh, the the cannabis space. And I think it's a really cool idea. Who doesn't love coffee? Who doesn't love coffee infused with CBD? Um, so I think that- I guess that's uh, what we'll find out. That's what he'll yeah, find we'll, out. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll find out. I mean, uh, this, is, I this is, you know, part of being an entrepreneur is, you know, throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. And I think it has a higher chance of sticking than not. Um, but and then Andrew, you know, really interesting conversation around, you know, the idea of, you know, um, you know, creating a brand and branding, because I think that's um, one of the things in the space that is not necessarily polarizing, but you have people that are looking at it from more of a financial perspective and more people and some people looking at it from a, a lifestyle perspective. and. And that's always a an interesting dichotomy in this space. And yeah, I, you one, know, I, uh, I, that's what I. It's it, it's it's funny because you've got a tale of of two industries that almost there's the right, like you said, a niche uh, craft. I'm going to infuse green raw coffee beans with CBD, and then there's other people trying to create this brand national uh player so uh, you know and, and andrew struggled to decide whether is the industry still decades away from dominance by large mm-hmm. powerful people or because i think he feels in his heart because he's been in this for 30 years he'd love the little guy uh small dispensary relationship to to continue to thrive uh afraid that it won't <laughs> Or do you have like the beer industry where you have, 
you know, the large kind of, you know, national, international brands, as well as, you know, kind of local brands. Yeah, I mean, um, really, that's 95% of the market is the large brand, like... 100%. So, and, but, but here, it, that isn't, and maybe we're decades away from even remotely getting to a point where yeah. larger players will dominate, and we're in the, still the the glory days of of this craft experience that that Andrew grew up with that he obviously resonates with so well. Well, and, and the important thing about that is, you know, uh, unlike maybe the beer and alcohol industry, the cannabis industry has a, an, a huge opportunity to shape what uh, the future looks like because if big brands are going to dominate the space, it's really going to come down to, you know, what do the consumers want right now and build that out over time. And then the big brands are going to be forced to basically adopt what the people want as opposed to the other way around. Yeah, they um, have an opportunity to be conscious about it. Yes. While whereas, other industries, yep. it, it evolved um, without anyone necessarily planning it. But on, yes. um, whether that's even possible, I don't know. Because I don't know if cannabis lends itself to careful planning. Uh, and uh, Judging from the, the, the people we've had on this show... In any event, this has been another uh, edition of the Business of Cannabis. Uh, I want to thank our guests, Andrew D'Angelo and Tim Peterson of Columbia Zonas. Uh, of course, uh, join us next week for another show. Uh, as always, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Cash Tech Currency Products. Uh, go to www.cashtechcurrency.com to learn about how to manage your cash in your dispensaries. Thanks very much for joining us. We look forward to uh, talking to you again. And this has been another edition of A Business of Cannabis. to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio.
You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. 